Hey, Cheyenne, how's it going? Chris, how are you, man? Good, good. Uh, 2023 Formula One season is underway. I'm super excited. I am too, man. I am too. Um, this is our fans team radio podcast. So let's give the listeners a little bit of background on us. So Chris, what, what got you into F1? Yeah. So, um, a buddy of mine, Sam, who has been a big time Formula One fan his entire life, him and his family have been watching, uh, since he was very little, he's been trying to get me into watching Formula One for a long time. And, I've been reluctant, not only because I have like an addictive personality and whenever I get into things, I get into them heavily, which is tried and true because now I'm here doing a podcast about Formula One as soon as I got into it. Uh, but yeah, he tried for a few years to get me to watch it and I didn't. And then I just so happened to finally say, you know, let's give this a go. I want to watch Formula One because uh, um, we randomly put on Drive to Survive one day, uh, my wife and I, and we just instantly fell in love with the teams, the drama, everything going on behind the scenes and then tying that into the sport, which I think is a really important part of Formula One is the off-track stuff. Um, and so we decided to give the season a go and it just so happened to be the greatest Formula One season of for a long time, the ultimate battle between Max and Lewis. And I was hooked instantly. Uh, so I didn't miss a race. I didn't miss a quality. Uh, watched every single piece of F1 content that I could ended up signing up with F1 TV pro and just watching like all the interviews, practices, everything, and just been super into it. And yeah, that's sort of like what led to, led to this. Uh, how about yourself? No, that's awesome. It's it, my story is not too dissimilar. It sounds like you are more or less a recent adopter of F1 as am I. Uh, and I think it's important for our audience to kind of realize where we're coming from here. Uh, you know, we're not the most technical savvy here. We very much are kind of seeing it through the lens of new fans. A lot of the fan base, I think, on the U.S. side uh, can can kind of appreciate that. Uh, I think my foray into F1 started also, you know, in the pandemic era when um, you would watch anything and everything that came out uh, just to kind of get yeah. a sense of normalcy. And, and I think F1, uh, especially the aspect of travel, you know, really lend itself really well to that. I'd actually started watching F1 when I was in college, just kind of in passing, uh, you know, really was trying to pick up on more sports. I, I've been a big football, baseball, basketball person my whole life. And so, you know, I, I really wanted to find something that would get me kind of excited the way that those sports did when I was a kid. And I think the cross-section of, of the, the show and then also the actual real-life racing just, you know, kind of blended together and, and and that's where my fandom started was back in 2019 uh fully you know was hooked just like you said found my alliances in mercedes and and lewis hamilton uh really you know uh leaned into that it looks like you you leaned into into the dark side yeah yeah, uh, but, a little you know, bit, yeah. <laughs> who am i to judge who am i to judge um but yeah no i'm excited that you know we're we have a chance to do this we have a uh a forum to be able to kind of just talk about F1 from our point of view and, and hopefully other people will, will, will join in with us. Yeah. I mean, so like ultimately just to like clarify further what, how this came to be. Um, I, as I mentioned before, my buddy, Sam, after every race, he like, so during the day, he's like, so into to the sport that he basically shuts his phone off, doesn't want any spoilers because his whole family's into it. 
But after the race, we would like talk for hours while we were either doing other games or whatnot in our life. And we had had such amazing conversations together that I was like, why, why aren't we recording this? Why aren't we uh, talking about this and spreading the message? Because I felt like we had some really interesting conversations uh, about F1, including conversations that, because like you mentioned, were more of a casual fan that other people weren't having um, because other people were more focused on either the technical aspects or viewpoints that Formula One has had for a long time. And we're just like a very casual fan seeing things from a different angle. Um, and so, yeah, I just thought it'd be great to be able to not only share that, but like bring in other fans together and have a, an avenue for people to have these discussions. So, yeah, uh, I'm super excited to, to start on this journey. But yeah, that's sort of like my backstory. And it sounds like we have pretty similar. So yeah, I'm excited to get into this. Yeah. And for the, for the listeners that hopefully will be joining, uh, Chris and I know each other from uh, our past life as, as agency assistants. So <laughs> yeah. we, we, we have um, somewhat of a background in how the entertainment business works. So hopefully some of that will bleed into our conversations as well. Um, so with all that, let's get started. What did you think about Bahrain? Yeah, uh, super exciting first race of the season. Like, obviously, the first race is potentially one of the most exciting of every season just because the slate's clean. There's no points on the board. Uh, you're coming in with brand-new cars that, you know, go through winter testing, but, you know, there's always the sandbagging uh, speculation, and there's the are people actually giving it their all until Q3 or, you know, even Q2 of qualifying uh, so you never know who's going to sort of come out on top and everything's sort of like mixed. There's new drivers on the grid this year. I think four new rookies, right? Uh, so it's just one of those moments, like the first time the lights go out for the first race of the season, you're like, anything can happen. What's going to go on? And it's just super exciting. But I had a good time. I actually had a really good time watching all the content leading up to the race. Uh, and the race itself was like super exciting. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I was really excited, especially because I have some context now on previous seasons, interactions between team bosses, which I found in, to be incredibly, uh, you know, interesting in this season's Drive to Survive, which was actually picked uh, a big reason why I think it picked up from last season's. Uh, I, I, I was very to see, I, I believe it's actually three rookies, uh, but I was, I was curious to see how they vibe with the cars. I was curious to see what the shakeup uh, would look like with the mid-pack teams. But I was also curious to see what parity looks like in a world of F1 where you now have new fans, you have new sponsors, you know, there's it's being heavily scrutinized from a lot more angles than it ever was before. So the, all those kind of, I feel like, have gelled together in this season for me is the context, uh, the, the new kind of toys that they're working with in terms of just drivers, but also you know, the, the physical cars. Um, and, you know, it, it seems like uh, we kind of have a decent idea of where things are going to shake out at the top and bottom ends. But this midfield, uh, I think, has been the most closely, you know, competitive midfield I've seen in, in a long time, since I've been starting to watch, and especially since, you know, uh, doing a little bit of digging back in history. Uh, do you think, do you think, the same what do you think about this year's uh pack of cars yeah so uh honestly going into testing i literally thought anything was possible like obviously red bull had 
a car that sort of dominated last year, even with a, a shaky start, they sort of took a control. But, you know, last year was the first year to do regulations. Uh, every car's changed. And then this year, people had time to like take their concept and sort of hone it. And so I, I was kind of under the impression that Red Bull had kind of figured out the best of the best already. And other teams were going to kind of close that gap by either mimicking what they felt Red Bull was doing or just improving on their own concept. So, um, yeah, I definitely thought that like the midfield race was going to be incredibly close this year. And I think that we're pretty much there. Um, I think we're going to have like, who knew Aston Martin can come out and, you know, they were like, yeah. they were back of the pack last year and for the last two years and basically nowhere. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, bam. So that's like a, an example sort of what I'm talking about, just like teams improving on their concept. But yeah, I think this year's midfield is going to not only be really close, but I think it's going to shake up throughout the season and we're going to have a lot of really crazy racing. Yeah, I also think that even between the two drivers on each team, there's a lot of parity and a lot of, you know, uh, drivers being more competitive. You're not having, you know, I don't want to call out uh, Nutella Boy from last year, but, you know, you're not having those kind of drivers taking up seats that, you know, uh, could be given to, to, to more talented uh, young folks. Um, with that being said, you know, I also think that there are still some things that, foundationally need to happen in F1 uh, for, for them to have a product close to what the NFL, the NBA, MLB kind of have in terms of teams, you know, being much closer, having a much more competitive year over year performance. So we're not calling the winner and even the losers before the season even starts. I think that's kind of where F1 still is, is uh, has room to improve is, the ability to, to keep us suspenseful and, and, and not, you know, have any idea who's going to win next year. I think that's really indicative of the success that Aston Martin has this year is that we had no idea that they were going to be like this, you know, is, is what Lauren Stoll, Stroll saying, just lip service is, you know, fit for purpose factory. Like, is that all going to like amount to something or is it just going to be a big flop? And as we're seeing, you know, they made all the right moves and, and it's, it seems like that's what excited you a lot that 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 change that you didn't expect but but happened yeah so going back to your point about sort of just that that parody um within the sport i've had this conversation many times with a few different people and it's always a, a difficult topic because having the having the ability for these teams to be so ahead of each other is like the beauty of f1 because it's really a team sport um, in the sense that like everyone in the engineering factories, everyone behind the scenes, they have the ability to basically make a car, a rocket ship if they want to. Um, and it, it's not a, a stock car race where every car is the same. And I think th that would be a really interesting, you know, test case to like see who's actually the best driver amongst everybody, but that's not what formula one is like formula one is this team sport. And so I, I know what you're saying and I definitely um, wish the teams were able to be closer together. Cause I hate knowing that you're going into a race weekend and you're just like, you know, Haas has no chance of winning or Williams has no chance of winning. It kind of makes it like, why are they even on the grid? But at the same time, you know, maybe they can make an upgrade mid season that changes that. I do wish there was 
some avenue to sort of build that closer together. And I think that they attempt to do that with the wind tunnel, um, like where you get reduced testing time and things of that nature, uh, and obviously with the cost cap. But it, it's very clearly still, um, it, it's not working as fully intended yet. Yeah, and then I appreciate that. It's really one of the things that that, that brought me into F one is like the lack of you know like uh, equality across all teams and how teams deal with that. I think it made for really great television. But then once you start, especially looking through an American tent, uh, you know, and 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 knowing that how these other organizational sports work on the you know on the state side that's what I appreciate is like going into the season, not knowing if the chiefs or the, you know, Eagles are going to win, who's going to, you know, it, it really, it, they're all team sports, you know? And, and, and I think if you want to garner that, that fan base more, I think you need to close that gap as an organization uh, between these teams, which isn't to say they should be in the same cars, but, you know, it should be more, reticent of what happened today where Williams has like an ability to get into points where, you know, uh, Alfa Romeo, you know, they, they could make a couple of, uh, you know, positional moves where Alpine, even they, if they do have a great car is these little mistakes that are, you know, so it's still a team sport, but it's left to like those kinds of decisions, not, you know, Mercedes or Red Bull has an X amount of money in the bank and then, you know, they can invest it into, you know, I think that's a big reason why baseball is now changing their rules as well. Uh, you know, so the Yankees and Red Sox aren't buying up every single piece of talent. And then, you know, your Dodgers uh, leaving every other, you know, small market team. Yeah. To, yeah. to, to kind of just, you know, be shit out of luck in, in a sense. Um, now they're, you know, changing the rules of the game to make pitching faster. And I'm using this metaphor because, you know, hopefully uh, an American audience is listening, but it's really like what I think the next evolution of F1 is as a sport is, you know, can they bring in more parity? Can they keep the DNA of like competitiveness as it was? And and I don't know what the answer is. I think it's, it's a bit of an art and a science there. And, you know, you know, coming into this, only being with the sport four years, I don't really have a leg to stand on, but just from you know the, this point of from where i'm standing i think that's what the sport is going towards and i and i'm really excited to see that that product yeah um i, I definitely want that product as much as you do um i'm i don't have the answers on how we can get there because i think that we're definitely attempting to try um like as we were talking it sort of brought up something in my in my head where uh, maybe the reason why Aston Martin is able to sort of extract the performance they are is because I feel like Warren Stroll is the kind of guy who hates losing and he wants to win no matter what he's whatever business he's in, whatever sport he's in. And honestly, as, as much as that guy seems like a villain, uh, like in the Drive to Survive series uh, and like all the controversy around their first year. Um, he's a shrewd businessman. Yeah, but he is at every race. He's in and around the paddocks. He's in and around the factories. He's participating in Tragic Survive. Like, this guy is involved and, and has a very vested interest in advancing not only the team, but the car, the drivers, obviously his son. Um, and then you, you get someone like Gene Haas, where you have, uh, you know, Gunther, who just phones him 
after every decision or every crash or whatever. I I don't know if I got to call I, Gene. Yeah, I got to call Gene. I got I got to get Gene on the phone. And I got like, to call Gene. It's like Gene's involved in racing. Why isn't he here? Why isn't he helping to lead the ship? So, um, and I think it shows that like Haas, basically after their first year, has kind of just sort of been nowhere. Um, and I I don't I don't know the dynamics of the team, but like maybe. Um, maybe not having that sort of like drive to push the team forward and just sort of be at status quo. So like, you know, maybe we need another team and maybe we need new teams in there. Um, it actually brought up to one of my points and I'm curious your thoughts on this too. Um, when the news came out that uh, like AlphaTauri might sell, I was actually excited about maybe selling them because I want, you, you almost feel like if AlphaTauri exists, that they're never going to be good because, like, would Red Bull allow that? Or would Red Bull put the resources into that team uh, to allow them to sort of compete with their own uh, resources? It's almost like having a junior league within the elite sport of F1. And so I was yeah. actually excited. Um, like, if if the teams are going to not let Andretti into the league, I was excited for maybe the possibility that them or another team could get into that avenue so there would be another competitive organization. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like the idea of having – it's almost like having a minor league uh, – I'm going to bring the baseball analogy up again, so I apologize. But it's um, almost like bringing a triple-A or a double-A team into the major leagues. It, 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 it really doesn't make sense. Like, you know, it, 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 they have a field where they can compete, which is F2 and F3. And if you put some more attention into those – those forms of races you won't have the lack of talent that they need you know they're trying to scrap for points like we did this last year you know you'll have a solid stable a consistent iterative stable of young talent that fit all the right metrics in terms of points for you to be able to kind of pull from into these major leagues this should you're i, I think you're absolutely right i don't think like, like Williams should not be an a, a umbrella team underneath Mercedes. Uh, AlphaTauri shouldn't be an umbrella team underneath, you know, AlphaTauri shouldn't, uh, um, Alfa Romeo shouldn't be an umbrella team underneath Ferrari. They can buy, you know, parts from these organizations. But I think when it comes up to like ownership and leadership, like that, there is a, uh, uh, you know, there there is some conflict of interest, I guess, for better words, in terms of like, will Red Bull even allow AlphaTauri to have like the upgrades that they need to be competitive with Red Bull? Will, you know, Mercedes uh, put in any more, you know, resources into Williams other than the fact that, Hey, we could get some cool drivers out of here. You know, once like George moves up and Lewis leaves, like, so right now, uh, I think again, it just speaks to like the, evol the active evolution of F1 into like a, a more uh, American kind of uh, skewing sport is that they'll probably start opening up the floodgates to, to let, you know, legitimately let teams in and buyers in once they realize that they can't keep having a lack of talent and, you know, like, like the, the, this gap in talent, it, it needs to be a consistent product. Um, Cause drive to survive can only keep them afloat for so long, you know? So, so I think like, I, I totally agree with you. I think right now the infrastructure is not allowing for it because there's some more precedent uh, needs, right? I think the cost cap is one. I think me and you were talking about like the tire 
rules that they made, which I, I think feeds into like the cost cap, uh, you know, uh, story. And so they're trying to kind of reach, I think, parity from that end. But I think once that's kind of, you know, settled and they have some 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 data on on how effective, you know, this cost cap rules are, then they can start looking at things like, hey, should we have a $200 million buy-in for a team? And then once they buy in, like, we, we don't, you know, we, we don't let them in. Like, it, it's just... Yeah. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like there's any structure. There, there's you know, it's it's all kind of arbitrary up to the FIA, which are like they obfuscate everything, so you don't, you know, you can't scrutinize what you don't know. So I think that will also be something that they'll have to take a not take a look at is like, what who are these overlords that are like kind of just passing down rule of law without really any kind of rhyme or reason to it, you know. Uh, what I did want to talk about, Chris, is if we take a step back into to Aston Martin, because because I think they they were for everyone like the hot ticket item. Obviously, your Red Bull, we we kind of knew that they were going to handedly be you know be leaders in 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 the first couple of races at least. Um, I didn't realize thirty nine seconds, fifty seconds ahead of of third place was going to be the Delta, but there you go. You brought up the fact that Lance is Lawrence's son, obviously. And that Lawrence has been putting a lot of resources into the team. They found success, like 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 actual success. It looks like with a really good car and a driver who demands a lot, rightfully so. Do you think that if Lance and, and Lance did a great job today, I don't want to I don't want to take anything away from him. I think he did, with the with the wrist issue and everything, and you know, barring the the initial contact with Fernando, he did a great job. But if he doesn't keep this up and Aston Martin is unable to compete for a constructor constructor title due to Lance's you know, lack of performance, do you think there's an argument to be made that we can start bringing in a new D2? Do you think the stress on Lawrence Stroll and, and like his, you know, the board members of, of Aston Martin will have him look into new drivers? Yeah, uh, I thought a lot about this, and um, I'm going to say, I'm just going to make a bold statement that this is Lance's last year in F1, and I have no proof or evidence of this other than the fact that uh, Daniel Ricciardo missed the photo shoot. Um, you know, the, 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 in the intro video of the track overshoot with, with yeah. all the cars? Yeah. He was the only person missing, and Lance missed it this year. And he was the only person missing, and Daniel's out this year. I think Lance is out next year. So that's my oh. that's my theory. Is is there's a new uh, there's a new curse in town? You miss the photo shoot, you're out next year. But no, yeah, that's like the, the the Madden curse. Yeah, the Madden curse. So, but yeah, back to your point. I definitely think that uh, I ultimately think it's going to depend on Alonso's performance and the car's performance throughout the year, as well as Lance's. Because if a if Alonso's sticking podium after podium after podium. Uh, maybe winning a race here and there this season, and Lance is always stuck in sixth to tenth, and then they're able to literally put on paper, like we would literally be first or second in constructors um, if it wasn't for Lance's performance. Then I think there has to be a decision made. I mean, Lance has been in the sport for a long time, uh, and he he's had some success, but he's definitely not, you know, sort of that generational talent. Um, I don't know what sort of deal or understanding he has with his dad or i don't know who lawrence actually answers to in terms of the f1 team 
but um, I definitely think that there will be a case with the car performing as well as it did um, today and hopefully throughout the rest of the season that you know maybe Lance needs to take a take a, a seat for the for a new D2 to come in because ultimately I think that that's why Lance wanted back in so bad because I don't think he wanted the reserve driver to come in and put in a massive performance. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. That's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, like obviously any major athlete, um, I, I, I don't want to dog on Lance too bad and just and just say that he was worried about being showed up because uh, even though I think that that's probably somewhat part of it, but, you know, any major athlete just wants to be competing and they'll do anything. Uh, I used to race motocross when I was young, and one of my one of my big uh, the guys I looked up to is a guy named Ezra Lusk. I don't know if you know who he is, but he uh, he broke his arm, and there was a race in like a week or two, and the surgeon like cut his bone and like welded a metal pipe and like fused it together, and he was back racing in two weeks. And it's like you like he basically got rid of bones in his body to keep continue to compete, uh, which I think is essentially what Lance did. I think he had a rod inserted into his hand. So, um, but yeah, I definitely think that. Yeah, he he showed grit. He showed grit and he did show talent. And I'm wondering if it's too little too late, right? And I think uh, obviously it's too early to call and and we have to see how things pan out, um, you know, as the year goes on. But as soon as I saw the performance of that car in free practice and then in quali and even more than that, I've never seen Fernando Alonso smile like that. I've never seen him give a compliment to his 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 teammate. He literally called, you know, Lance his his hero. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that, you know, but but that if that's not an indicator of Aston Martin being like a legitimate competitor and having a machine and the team to, to you know really push them forward, then I don't know what it is. So I'm predicating a lot of my speculation on that, right? I think, you know, something that I've been thinking about heavily, especially after his performance, and, and I think it's a good pivot into, into the Williams story, is Alex Albon potentially bring, coming in as a D2 driver for Aston Martin. Call me crazy, but that seems like, like a match almost made in heaven. You have someone who has driven a shit car for the longest time, and has the the ability to to make that car go and not crash into you know into walls you know not you know sputter out he does a really good job he's also someone that listens well to 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 leaders in the team and adjusts for it and i think he would be a perfect person to line up next to if fernando stays you know any longer to to stick with with the team like aston martin and really give them a fighting chance at a constructor's cup. I, I, I think I think Alex would be an incredible person to to sit in that seat. And, you know, I think Williams today had a really good showing. They had a much better showing than than what I was going to give them, you know, uh props for. And it's a it's a pleasant thing to see because they've always been that team that has been kind of the nice guy, you know, in the paddock. They, they you know they come from like the Williams family and then got sold to this the this the capital like investment company and uh, my worry was like you know they just kind of 
wither away into oblivion. But I think between Alex and Logan Sargent, who I think was the best rookie of the day, they really have something promising going in, going into this year. What are your thoughts on Williams? Yeah, so Williams has always been that team that, uh, you know, basically just didn't exist in the back of the pack. Like, obviously, when George Russell was with them, he was able to do some crazy things with the car, especially in the wet that sort of, like, gave them the highlight of the day or the week. Um, but, you know, you always wrote them off. But today, uh, they definitely showed up. Um, and like you said, like Alex showed up and like Logan really showed up too. I was super impressed with his performance out of the gate, you know, outperforming all the other rookies and just uh, taking a car that typically wouldn't perform very well and, and putting it in there. And so I was super impressed, especially for a guy who like finished fourth in F2 versus yeah. someone like Oscar who has dominated every uh, junior series that he's ever raced in. Um, and then, you know, like obviously the McLaren's not that great of a car, but Logan, you know, typically a rookie debut, someone who's not a super um, pedigreed champion and all that is going to come in and probably just sort of be in the back of the pack. And he didn't. He came in and he showed up, uh, you know, kind of like Sonoda did in his, in his rookie F1 debut, you know, took it, put it in the points in Bahrain. And I think it was I think it was awesome. I'm, I'm super excited to see where Williams can take the car for the rest of the year. Yeah, an American driver, you know, uh, it would be, be nice to have an American driver actually, you know, put 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 our put us on his back. Uh, I think coming out of free practice, I saw how disappointed Logan was, right, in in the fact that you know they weren't they weren't meeting his expectation, and that was a stark difference to the other two rookies that I saw. And this is just my kind of take on it. Nick, I don't think he performed that well uh this race i don't think based on his you know his lore of being around the paddock and the way he kind of carried himself and drive to survive and you know i just don't think the talent was there uh and and and, in in respects to to logan but i feel like ego is all there you know i think he should be like logan did paying attention to like hey like what can i do to kind of get this team up and running you know, like, I think that if he had an ego and led with that kind of like an ego, I'd be much more like of a, of a Nick DeFries fan right now, which isn't to say I can't become one later. But I think him and, and, and like you mentioned, Oscar Piastri have very similar, you know, kind of auras around them where they 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 feel like they, they are owed something. And I think Logan kind of came from perspective of like, I need to do what I can to help this team, even if it like means like, you know, being, you know, being a little harsh, like, like, like during free practice or really, you know, like showing them that I'm disappointed as opposed to like kind of being detached and like, you know, having the team fix it and then you reattach yourself to it. You know, I, I think the, some of the best, like Lewis does that, you know, uh, Michael Schumacher did that uh, famously with Ferrari uh, in their overnight like story. So what are your thoughts on the other rookies uh, this season? Yeah, I'm sort of, uh, I'm sort of with you. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of weird to call Nick a rookie because he's a, you know, Formula E champion, uh, but he is an F1 rookie. Um, and, and I'm with you. Like, I, to be honest with you, last year, I only knew Nick from the, you know, the post-race show. Yeah. And he always seemed like 
a nice kid, genuinely, like I call him a kid, but he's a little older than he looks, but um, he's super nice, and I was super excited for him after his performance. Uh, we stepped up at Monza, and, yeah. and I was like, oh, man, I can't wait to see Nick. And then, like you mentioned, in Drive to Survive, he carried himself very poorly, dogging on Sonoda. Obviously, I don't know how much of that is edited or, you know, not scripted, but, like, made to look different than it was, but I was actually shocked. I was surprised that he was just sort of like, you know, I'm going to be the team leader. I'm going to be doing this. It's like, you ha- you you haven't had your day yet. Get in there and prove yeah. that you're fast. Get in there and prove that you're a leader. Uh, and I think coming from Nick and Oscar's standpoint, like Nick is a Formula E champion and Oscar is this young kid who has had known nothing but success. And, you know, that probably built an ego around him. And, he, you know, you're put, they're putting his name in with, you know, Charles and um, Lewis and all these other people that like won everything that they've ever driven. And they all ended up being superstars. So I think Oscar was sort of put in this bubble of future WDC champion before he's even stepped foot in an F1 car. So I think he sort of built an ego around that, but yeah, I mean, he obviously isn't in the best car this year, but he had not a great day. Uh, and he didn't yeah. have a good quality quality either. So, uh, like out beaten by Lando and, um, just really, really wasn't there. But like you said, Logan was the one who impressed me the most, just in terms of his performance. Uh, obviously we're only one race into the season, but I'm super excited to see like what he does for the rest of the year. And also like you brought up what he does for American F1 fans, because like you mentioned before, Drive to Survive can only take us so long. It's honestly getting a little stale. They have the exact same formula. And maybe that's a good thing for most audiences, but um, you can almost predict the episodes at this point in their pacing and their beats. And so I'm super excited to see like how fans will react in Austin and obviously Miami and, and then uh, Vegas. I can't wait for that. And I'm, I'm, yeah. just hoping, I'm hoping that there's at least some sort of like stardom around it. Um, I don't know if you heard this today, but they were talking to the announcers. Uh, do you watch on F1 TV or on Sky? Yeah. Or, yeah. So, yeah, 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 so they were talking about Yuki in Japan, and they were like, I, I forget who they were talking to, but they were talking about uh, somebody in Japan, and they were like, oh, man, F1 must be exploding over there. And they actually were like, no, it's been declining a little bit, which was surprising given the fact that, like, you know, Yuki's in F1 now. Uh, and you got Suzuka and all that kind of stuff. So I really hope we don't see that sort of negative effect in, in America with 4 one And I hope that like the new races in the U.S. and Logan and hopefully potentially Andretti in the future can sort of like take this sport to the next level in this country. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I from what I've seen today, I have high hopes for Williams, higher hopes than I've had you know, after seeing them for the past couple of years. I, I really do find them endearing. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of how the characteristics of their drivers are. Alex Albon, someone that, you know, it's hard to hate him. He puts the, you know, he puts the pedal to the metal. He puts where his money, where his mouth is. And he doesn't have a big mouth to begin with. You know, he he, he just does the job really well. And then Logan hopefully uh, takes from, from that and, and builds on it, right? So I think Williams is in a good position uh, to, to, to make, you know, some consistent, it's ambitious, but some consistent points throughout this year. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about McLaren real quick. 
<laughs> yeah, let's talk about McLaren. <laughs> well, let's talk about McLaren real quick. So, uh, so Zach Brown, um, he is he is the CEO. He is not a team principal. And I've done multiple Google searches to see if they might even accidentally refer to him as as the team principal. And they 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 do a really good job of making sure they keep the label, the moniker of CEO. The reason I bring that up, and I think me and you discussed this, is he is a business guy, right? He's he's yeah. a very astute businessman. He 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 fits the CEO bill really well. When it comes to driver relations, when it comes to all the intent intangible things that you need as a team principal strategy what it takes for for the car to stay consistently like good i i think he's not the guy he's not that guy i think he speaks really well to to bringing drivers to mclaren given the historical success of the team but i think that well is running really low and i think he is probably in my top five people under the most duress going into the next two seasons what do you think? Yeah. Um, I definitely was excited about McLaren two years ago when Daniel and Lando won two at Monza and then Lando almost won Russia. And I was super excited about the future and the potential. But ever since that moment, that, 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 that Russia moment, it's all falling apart. And I think Zach Brown's a big part of that. Like you said, I think he's, I think he's focused on like the business of McLaren. Like obviously the car has turned into a billboard in the last two years. Yeah. Um, and those uh, Google hubcaps do so ugly. I honestly, I don't even really understand them because it's not even a true representation of the logo. And when the car is running, it, they're irrelevant. You can't tell. <laughs> so, you can't tell. Uh, I I think that Google themselves noticed that um, because they've added more logos throughout the car. But they yeah, added it, those ones on the top, the digital screens, like right. Now, it's they, they actually have they have them on next to the driver too, and on the yeah. bottom next. To, it's like they're like everywhere. And so, but yeah, I think Zach. Um, I think Zach's like a visionary, and he's just like he thinks he knows what he wants. He's like, if I just get these two drivers in here, and I just get all this stuff, it's all gonna just work out. And yeah. I just don't think that it works that way in F1. Like you need, like you need that cohesion. You need a team sort of like building together over a season or multiple seasons and all working towards the same goal. And now I sort of feel bad for Danny because, you know, you get someone like, like Lando and Oscar in the car are, they're both generational talents. Like they're both like young drivers who have a lot of talent and a lot of room for, uh, to, to do big things in these cars and they were nowhere today just nowhere so yeah like is it danny rick's fault like you know maybe maybe lando was just more used to driving a ship box than than danny rick was and danny just couldn't lock it up because he was used to driving a red bull or a but danny rick got them danny rick got them their only win yeah so like i feel bad for i feel bad for the whole situation but uh, mclaren is going to have to change something uh, otherwise, two things are going to happen. One, both your drivers are going to leave as soon as possible. Like you, you mentioned about the potential second seat at Aston Martin. Uh, whether it goes to to Albin, I could definitely see it going to Lando or Oscar. Because yeah, yeah, they, you're you're right. They might just be like, oh, uh, there's another potential championship winning car on the grid. I'm out. Right. 
Um, and Lawrence Stroll is the kind of guy who can buy out a contract. He's the kind of guy yeah. who will will take any young future champion uh, at any cost. So, yeah, um, yeah, I, I definitely think McLaren is in trouble. Um, they they did say that they have um, stopped development on this car pretty early in the process uh, and are bringing a, a whole different concept to Baku. Uh, but you know, if that doesn't prove to be a worthy concept, they're in big trouble. And I think Zach Brown's in the firing line for that. Yeah, and 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 even if they do bring a, a, a very amazing upgrade to their car that that gets them up into at least the mid range, what's that? You know, that 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 barrier of entry for them for for their drivers to to learn that car for their for their for their teams to to know how to uh, like remediate issues with the car like as they go along. I think, you know, and we'll talk about Alpine in just a sec, but I think where Alpine has, you know, mistakes that, that can be fixed, you know, uh, pretty quickly because it's, it's more behavioral. Aston Martin, I think, has foundational issues and infrastructure issues, uh, both at the management end and at the, the technology end. What they have in place right now is essentially two really great, like, potential drivers that are young and that can, you know, be used by any team for the next 10 years easily. And I, I think two of the top five most stressed seats right now, in my opinion, goes, you know, Zach Brown and Oscar Piastri occupy two of them. Um, so, so yeah, I think this is worse than expected. They, they, they are going to be my losers of the day uh, as, as a whole. Um, it seemed like they, you know, Piastri had a steering wheel issue. Maybe you were talking about this. The software on the on the steering wheel wasn't even loading like completely. It was taking more than like a minute. So they had to retire the car. Like you know what? It doesn't make sense to keep going. And especially like we talked about the tires. Like you know, it doesn't make sense to waste the tires if the if the, if the whole race is a dud. So so yeah, I, I think McLaren is going to have is probably in the hottest seat as a team. Um, I think Kiastri and and Zach Brown are in the hottest seats as individuals. Um, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned Alpine a little bit. Uh, we talked about it. Let, let's talk about them today. They had an interesting day. Um, obviously Esteban had some cumulative penalties. I feel, I feel so you bad know, for Esteban today. I, I do too. I do too. Cause, cause at, at a certain point he was like, guys, like I've been doing this kind of stuff since I started racing. Like why today are they, and, and I don't know how much credence there is to that right like obviously we'll have to like turn back the pages a little bit and really look through it um but but yeah well i would love to hear what you thought about esteban today like what, what do you think was what happened with alpine yeah so uh i need to get because uh, i have f1 tv i can i can look at different angles of the cameras but uh when they did the replay of esteban start even the casters the announcers were like what did he do wrong uh <laughs> He looked like he was in the box. Uh, he didn't look egregiously forward or outside of the box. I don't know what the penalty exactly came from. Because um, yeah. the other penalty is built on top of that. Yeah, the other penalty is like... Well, to be fair, like, even if the first penalty was unjust, the the pit crew caused the second oh, penalty. Because yeah. yeah. as soon as he pulled in, they started pulling his nose off, which they can't do. Yeah, they can't touch it. it. It was definitely harsh. 
to to do a 10 second penalty on top of the five second penalty i mean like you, all you're doing at that point is saying unless there's a safety car you're done like you, yeah. might, as well, you might as well just retire the car at that point um yeah but yeah he was getting uh unlucky after unlucky and i, I could totally sense a, a bunch of frustration as a driver, when you're so removed from these decisions, you're just doing your job, and all of a sudden, someone's like, your race is over. Uh, it definitely has to be very frustrating. Um, but but the car, I was actually really worried about Alpine um, coming because like Gasly performed so poorly in qualifying, and um, but then but then he pulled it together in the race. He put the car up there. Like, yeah. Um, I was like I was worried about the guy because the guys had um, similar bad career moves, he, you know, he lost the seat at Red Bull, and, uh, you know, then he's at AlphaTauri, which is obviously, like we discussed before. Um, like, but he won a race, too. He won I, a race there. Yeah, he did. He did. But, you know, he obviously got the memo, as we talked about, that it's never going to be a championship car. So he wanted yeah. to, you know, there's only so many seats in Formula One, so you can't just go to Mercedes, Red Bull, or Ferrari. So if the seat's not open, so you have to go somewhere where it has a potential to be a fast car. So he took the seat and I was worried about it, but um, it, it looks like there is performance in the car and he was able to extract that. And I'm, I'm definitely excited to see where, where that team goes. Cause that's the one while maybe not like a superstar marketing marketable character, like he is a very good driver and very talented and still very young. And, and maybe him and Gasly can, you know, can take this team to like the top of the midfield. Do you, do you think it's fair to say that it was just a bad day for them? Chalk it up to a bad day as opposed to a McLaren where it's not a bad day. It, it is much more serious. Do you think Alpine can can right course the ship uh, in the in the matter of, you know, before next race? Yeah, I definitely think that there is an avenue for them to, to fix their issues uh, and, and be a dominant uh, mid-tier team. The problem is, is that Aston Martin is no longer a mid-tier team. Potentially, mm. they might be competing. And so then then all of a sudden you have Ferrari, which is like the a championship midfield team, I would call them at this point. Like they have the potential to win races consistently and the drivers to do so. But the team is still a little wonky. The, um, the car still has issues from time to time, as we saw with Charles' car today. And then you have Mercedes, who definitely have a championship-winning organization, and maybe the car isn't 100% there yet. So, and that's already four teams. So, like the best you could do is fifth, right? So, yeah, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see whether Alpine can can breach that and get up into the top four, maybe even the top three. Otherwise, fifth is the best you could do, and that's like where nobody wants to be. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely excited that we have. So many top cars as competitors this year so it's almost like we have f1 or like f0 which is red bull and then f1 which is ferrari aston martin and mercedes and then you know f1.5 which is the rest of the pack so yeah <laughs> so it's just it's kind of it's gonna and then be you have f2 mclaren <laughs> <laughs> yeah and who knew like uh, yeah 
I, I know Zach had rung, you know, some bells early on that this is not where they uh, they did not meet their performance target or something to that effect, you know. And I know Toto, and then the the, the culture of sandbagging is so prevalent in, in F one, so it's really hard to tell who means what and who means nothing. Even you know Otmar and 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 Laurent Rossi, who I think has a pretty good synergy right now at Alpine. So so it, you know, in, in terms of silver lining, that's something that I really hope uh, they. They, they lean into more I think you know Pierre Gasly I don't think he is gonna be the 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 answer like Alan Iverson right but he is a step in the right direction and in terms of damage control that they were able to do after last year's just fallout this is a really great I think Otmar he he really showed gumption in, in getting Pierre in there and I think it's that same gumption that's going to help them develop more and more and, and, and become more cohesive as a team. I, I do agree with you. I think, I think given the strides that Aston Martin has made in this, in this past off season, I think Alpine is probably going to have fifth as the best to look forward to. But silver lining for them is that they have two French drivers, relatively young. They're probably not going to be like the, you know, the, the, the generational talents that that you're referring to and Oscar and, and others, but they're going incrementally in the right direction. So I think if you're in a fifth place team, inherently that's probably the best case scenario for you. Um, let's talk about, let's talk about Ferrari. I think, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's an ensuing issue from last year for Charles, uh, you know, there's only so much you can do in that situation. Uh, and then Carlos just got taken over. It seems like his car was sliding a little bit, just like kind of Lewis's was. What do you make of Ferrari's season right now? I know, I know you have some th- strong thoughts on was f- replacing, you know, uh, Mattia with, with Freddie Vassar, the, the right move. Do you think it's going to take a little bit of time for that to, to really manifest, like the, the, the positives that, they, that they're looking for? What do you think? Do you think this is all a, a big mistake of an experiment? Uh, my high level is I miss Nadia, Mattia. I, 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 he's just such a character, like, on not only Drive to Spy, but just on, on the, on the pit wall. I, I just miss his presence. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely, I, I don't know whether replacing him, the only time will tell. Um, like, I, I think there's going to be more fundamental changes that need to be made other than just him, uh, to Fred. Um, but, what we saw today felt exactly like last year. Um, it felt like a little bit of disorganization. Obviously, Charles had a great performance until his car just died. And I, the second I saw that it was his car that died, I was just expecting him just to like walk out into the middle of the track and let somebody run him over. Like he's just like not again. Like <laughs> oh my god, because you know this guy. He is a talent like none other. And I think that if Max didn't exist, Charles would be dominating the sport. Unfortunately, Max exists and he's going to have to compete against that. But, you know, this guy deserves to be in a car that can perform. And obviously, or honestly, Ferrari should be that car. Ferrari has the money, the resources, the the pedigree, the history of every, everything says Ferrari should just be a championship winning team. And I honestly don't know what they're doing wrong. But then again, it's only race one. 
Maybe they have some woes left over from last year, things that they need to change. Maybe they're still figuring things out. Like maybe Fred, uh, I think I read early on in the season that he didn't want to change too much, that he wanted to like marinate and see where the problems are before he made the changes. Because if you make a bunch of changes at once, you don't know what you're fixing, right? So maybe he wants to see where the problems are. And maybe now he knows that engineering might be a problem, reliability team, whatever it is, might be a problem. They need to, to, to fix that, maybe some change in personnel, whatever they need to do. But I definitely see a season reminiscent of last year where Ferrari has the capability of winning races, has the capability of one-twoing, but they're just not going to get there. So, Yeah, I think the point that you made about like deductive decision-making, you know, kind of seeing the the imperfections as they are and then slowly taking one away seeing and and, and you know kind of, i i think that's a, a very conservative way to 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 patch a problem and 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 you know there's benefits to that but there's also a lot of time that that solution requires and and if we know anything about ferrari is that time works a little differently for them yeah uh you know they they a lot of pressure on the on the drivers but also on the team principal to show you know results right now and that's just i don't think congruent with with how f1 works as a as a sport um i i think there you know if there's any silver lining they, they were you know near the front of the pack um but then what aston martin did today what fernando did today you know I would not be surprised if going into the next couple of races, Fernando's the 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 the, the, the de facto P three, you know, um, and that every now and again, for uh, you know, Ferrari might be able to slip in. Pecco might have an off day. I don't anticipate Max to have an off day, uh, but you know, the, and and even if Russell and 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 Lewis have have good days, you know, they can. So Ferrari, I think, are maybe even taking a back step not due to anything that they've done but due to the fact that the other teams are actively moving incrementally even in the right direction whereas they're kind of just sitting in the same spot um so yeah i think freddie vassar is not on my high on my top five pressure list but he is there i think he would probably be number five sure. i think they'll give him just enough time to to, to kind of implement some of his own flavor before really ramping up the pressure. Yeah. From, so I don't know much, uh, or from what I understand about the Ferrari organization, there's a lot of not only pressure, but like, there's also like, it's like, I guess it's like hard to make big changes in Ferrari because there's like a, like a level of respect with like high up people and. It's an institution more than a team. I feel like. Yeah, exactly. Which is why I think Freddie got the job because he was already in the Ferrari family. But, yeah. if you, but if you look at Alfa Romeo over the last two years, Bottas's car died almost every other race. Like, he was always retiring. And so you had reliability issues with Ferrari last year, and then you put in a guy who didn't squash out the reliability issues with Alfa Romeo. And I just I yeah. sort of worry about that future in terms of, you know, is Freddie going to be the next? getting too comfortable with my tenured job and I, uh, and, you know, like using the institution of Ferrari as like his, hopefully it all just works out. Like I, I just, I guess I fail to see how he's going to be the answer. 
Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up because because I try to think of like par like you know as a new fan of F1, I think about things in parallels to to what I know, and what I know is University of Texas football because <laughs> that's my alma mater, an institution. It yeah. it has, you know, over the course of the last few decades, it, it 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 has been an institution in college football and in college sports, but then how UT works is it you know, the board members are kind of making the decisions. It's not usually on the people who are, you know, boots on the ground who know the ins and outs of of what they need as a culture. It's these like high level, like donors and board members that are, are slightly removed, but have deep pockets. So then you have things like Tom Herman and Charlie Strong and all these iterations of coaches that don't fit the bill of what we need at, at, at UT. And that's kind of what I see at Ferrari right now. I think you made a really good point of Fred, not patching up those issues at Alfa Romeo. You know, I think by virtue of him being in the Ferrari family, him having a good rapport with Charles, like that, you know, it, it wasn't completely merit-based. It probably was like relational-based. Right. Then you go on to think like, well, who the hell else could they have gotten, right? You know, so I think a great example of that is, uh, you know, Mike Crack uh, over Aston Martin right now has a track record, you know, at BMW, at Porsche WEC, slightly different, right? And, and I think Yos Capito tried, you know, tried to set a similar thing with him. But I think those are the kind of folks that are going to be the diamond in the rough that can can be brought for cheap and execute against a, a, a real plan. And you can see that with Mike, you know, like Mike, he's not Otmar. You know, Otmar was more relational and kind of like a, a more light presence. And, you know, I think Alpine vibes with that more. Whereas like, you know, Mike was a little bit more technical. He's a little bit more, you know, left brained, I feel like just given his background. And I think that vibes with what Lawrence wanted. You know, Lawrence wanted uh, objectives and to be able to hit those objectives as they go along. That's how most businesses scale and work. And I think that's what he knows. And he knows that he, Lawrence knows that he's not the the racing guy. And I think that's something that Zach needs to figure out now is that he's not the racing guy. <laughs> um, yeah, so I agree with you. I think Fred, uh, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he's a good team principal. Uh, I really do hope that those relational, like, you know, connective tissue does give a, a, a Ferrari a fighting chance and, and helps them fix their woes and, and their car. Uh, but man, you gotta feel, I feel bad for Charles. I feel bad for Carlos, man. Like those guys, the thing is, uh, and hopefully our listeners will pick up on this character means a lot to me. Like, I, I don't know about yeah. you, but character means a lot to me when it comes to just like liking someone. And when there's only 20 of them on the grid, like you could, you know, you, you can, you can be a total shithead and, and, and be great. And I'll be like, Hey, eventually that's going to like, tear of teams apart because not every team's built for that but you know as fernando has proved uh but but right now ferrari has two really good drivers that are patient and like you said like charles could kind of go wherever and and any team would want to have him but you know they're being held to this institution for for powers that are beyond my Reasoning, I feel like it's it's weird with Ferrari specifically because first of all, like where are you gonna go um, unless the seat opens up at either Red Bull um, 
or or Mercedes and maybe Aston now, but Ferrari is also just like the name. The, it's like a dream for these drivers. Like yeah, like leaving that institution, like leaving the red car, the famous Ferrari. Like I think that would be a difficult decision, and like they're clinging on to hope that Ferrari is going to go back, you know, to the Schumacher days and just like dominate. And you know, I just I just don't. That's what I hope for UT football. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but you know, like like you said, I think I, I definitely think Fred is he is a good team principal. He's experienced, and, and hopefully that they can sort of find their way, and hopefully they can make some changes. But I definitely think after today they're in trouble uh, a little bit because it all fell apart in a matter of a few laps, like Charles' car, yeah. and then the dag on Carlos's car. Just watching people just pass him um pretty easily like i i just i i see a repetition of last year where they're just going to struggle um yeah so uh we talked we talked about mclaren um and how they're our biggest loser and they're sort of uh on the hot seat of being the worst team right now which is very surprising but they're going to bring an upgrade to their car now let's we have another team that's sort of in a similar situation which is mercedes um they stuck with their no pod, zero pod, side pod design of a car. They thought they could fix it. It's yet to be seen whether uh, it's fixed or what maximum potential they can extract out of the car. Do you think it's time for them to sort of like ditch that concept and and do a, do another massive upgrade like McLaren might do at Baku and sort of like bring a whole new concept? Because like you brought up the fact that Red Bull was what thirty to fifty seconds up the road. Like that's not uh, 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 from from P three. That's just yeah. from P three. Yeah. yeah, that's that's not competitive in any way, shape, or form. So like, even if you're consistently podium, but you're thirty seconds behind Max, you know what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's I mean, and and I'm like, I'm sure. Here's the thing about Mercedes that that I really gravitate towards is the fact that they are pretty self-actualized. They don't hold themselves to a standard that they're not at, you know, like, and that's what I respect about them. I think you saw Toto and Lewis visibly, you know, distraught after qualifying. They didn't really, you could tell they weren't sandbagging like they were in previous years where they had a championship winning car. You know, they, they look, they, they know that this side pod, you know, schema is not going to be a, a world championship contender. And so this year, I, I think they're, you know, George Russell already said that, that Red Bull has it in the bag this year, you know, that, that, that Max is probably going to win every single race this year without, unless like something weird happens. I think right now Mercedes is in a place. I I honestly say they're in a place that was be, that's better than what I thought they were going to be. As a Mercedes fan, you know, I love seeing Lewis battle with 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 Fernando. Like I was, I'm as a Mercedes fan, I'm jealous of Aston Martin, but mm-hmm. I'm thoroughly entertained as an F1 fan. So I and Mercedes will probably stick in this like fourth fifth spot um throughout this year and then i think next year is when they'll probably reintroduce some sort of side pod concept much more aligned with aston martin and and with red bull uh i have uh i'm sort of a mixed uh, on mercedes team actually i'm gonna admit that um 
two years ago. I didn't like Lewis at all. Um, I I felt like he was uh, fake uh, and not genuine. I felt like a lot of his his like persona and showboating and everything like that was very egotistical, and that his like wanting to help humanity and all that was just sort of like a facade. Extra. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I thought it was a facade. Like 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 he needed people to like him, so he played this character that he like wasn't in front. Uh, and then after Abu Dhabi, like I looked into him a lot more. I followed him a lot more, uh, and I definitely felt for the guy. And I, I, I sort of fell in love with him all over, or, or I guess for the first time. But like I actually like Lewis a lot now, uh, and I feel like he's way more genuine than I gave him credit for. Um, and I, I really want to see him win his eighth championship. And it, it's difficult for me because like I Max is my favorite driver, obviously. Uh, just because he's so dedicated to his craft, um, even though he's a little cocky at times. But yeah, I, but I also I, I really hate George Russell. So <laughs> I, just, I, I, <laughs> I was gonna I was waiting for you to drop that hammer. Yeah, like I I want to see Lewis win number eight, but I don't want Lewis or I don't want George to win races. So, um, but yeah, I really like Mercedes as a team, um, and and I like Toto as a team principal. So I really hope that they could sort of put together. But I think that. I think that you're going to be more accurate than not that they're going to just sort of be hanging around this third, fourth, fifth place throughout this year. Um, but man, when they unveiled that car, I thought it was going yeah. to be a screamer. It looks so sexy. It looks like, sexy. It's it was a sexy like car. pure black with a green stripe. And I was like, that looks yeah. mean. It's the, it's like back, like it's back to black. Like, cause I was like the silver arrow coming back, didn't do him any favors. And I was like, now we're back to black with this like, super speed demon car and i really i thought it was gonna rock and then it just didn't and i was a little yeah about it. i mean as as an optimist here here are three things that i think would help mercedes out that are outside of their control so one is lance stroll holding back Aston martin in, in totality in terms of points for constructor cup i think that that's one thing that that could potentially happen i think ferrari's core strategy is is another thing that you could probably take to the bank uh, you know and I, I know it sounds mean but they haven't done anything to really change my mind there 100 and the third thing is you know this is a little bit more far out given the the delta between red bulls and the rest of the field but as the season progresses red bulls lack of you know being able to test and and go into like wind tunnels and the restrictions there coupled with the other teams on like new packages and, and, and new upgrades, you know, I think there's some form of those three kind of coalescing that could help Mercedes get into potentially that fourth, maybe that third place in constructor in constructor constructors cup. Um, but yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough season for, for, for us. Um, and it's going to be a tough season for, for Lewis, but, I was talking to you about this. I think Fernando winning this year in, in whatever form will only encourage Lewis to delay retirement and, and stick around. So if that's the case, I'd love to see Fernando win several points this year, maybe get the third, because it'll probably help Lewis just get his mind right and be like, hey, if a 41-year-old can, can race – and Toto seeing this too, you know, why can't we get there? You know, so, so I'm, 
I love Mercedes, you know, like, I think that's the thing about the sport is that like, I don't just love Mercedes, but I do have, I have love for Red Bull because I know how good Christian is at his job when he called it and was like, yeah, you know, Danny doesn't want to fight. He doesn't want to come up for a fight, you know, and he stuck with his laurels there. That was the right call when he brought on Checo and he saw that and he made a moment's notice decision to bring him on. That was a great executive call, you know, like uh, I, I have love for them. I, I'm starting to develop love for Aston Martin, you know, some uh, team that I was relatively ambivalent about right. early, you know, last year. And then I learned to love Fernando for reasons that I learned to not like Oscar because they're both positioning so that the bad guys, but Fernando has like this catalog of like success that gives him a reason to to say and do the things that he does uh not without impunity but 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 i but i get it um i think mercedes is gonna have a rough year this year not as rough as last year but i think they know it and i think you know as long as you know it you know and you're not completely you know focusing on the wrong things i'll take this season you know as a fan i'll take uh, and focus on other things that I really love about the sport, which is like, you know, Fernando really driving in. I love Checo. Uh, I would love to see, you know, I'm on Ginger Spice's FM radio on like love for Checo. Yeah. For um, sure. But let's talk about Haas real quick. Cause I do, I want to love Haas, Chris. I want to love Haas and they have everything. I, I love Kevin. I love Nico. I love Gene. <laughs> I love Gunther. I love yeah. like, it's like a, almost like a, a sitcom, you know, uh, that they have going on. And I love what Nico was doing during qualifying. And then it seemed like they lost all that momentum going into the race one. What do you make of Haas this year? Yeah. Um, Haas is, I, I feel like Haas is like Ferrari 2.0 in the sense that you have so much hope coming into the season where you're just like, this is the year. This is the year that Haas is going to, like, not dominate, but just, like, crush the midfield or be up in there. And they're going to be, you know, racing for points every race, and people are going to be able to put, you know, put it out there. But every time, it's just disappointment. Like, like obviously, we saw that, that Nico was able to, like, just rip it in qualifying and put in a really good performance. But even the, even the, the announcers, everybody, they were saying that, like, they knew ahead of time that they would have no race pace. Uh, and that's what people are talking about. And I was kind of really hoping that they were wrong about that, but they yeah. did. They had no race pace. I, I had to go back and look, but didn't Nico finish behind Kevin? Like, yeah, you were he, starting oh, so much further up. How did you, he, yeah, he's, he's two positions behind, behind Kevin where he was kind of leading Kevin for, for a decent part of the race. Um, and I don't, I guess I'm too, I'm still learning um, the disparity between like the race pace and quality and like the lack of race pace, like when you get to, to, to race day, I'm trying to figure out what happened, you know, like where did, where did they lose all that? Yeah. I just, I don't think like, obviously you, you could set up your car. Um, like, cause once you're in park for me, like you could set up your car for one lap pace. Uh, and and just put all the all the bolts and nuts in the car and all the the gears and everything you can change 
to to be able to rip it around the track for a qualification lap, but but then just have no race pace because like you have high fuel load and you have you yeah. have tires you have to worry about. So I I just don't I don't I guess I don't get hot sometimes. Like I feel like they're almost like okay with where they are. Um, yeah. From 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 what I've from like from what I've heard, like they're still a profitable organization. So as long as like because I I think that they like don't spend. So whatever they're making, they're still they're still pulling in money. So I just don't understand. It, it almost feels like they're happy as long as they get a point here and there, but they don't finish dead last. But I, I'd really like to see like you have good talent in those cars, um, and, and you know they're sort of like kind of branding. They're the American team, and you you want to see them sort of like take that to the next level. Um, and I like Gunther a lot. Sometimes I feel like he's he's like too comfortable. Um, yeah. And maybe there needs to be a, a change there. Um, let's get Seb in that team principal role. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm all there for it. Yeah. I'm I'm all there for it. I uh, I think there's no sense of direction with that team. There's not even an attempt to make a sense of direction. They're kind of just taking every year as it comes, and I think if you accept the fact that you're not that great, that is a great thing to accept because it sets you up for, for going in the right direction. I think denying this over and over and then recycling the same excuse. Cause like you said, the next season of F1, we kind of already know what Gunther is going to be saying to Gene, what Kevin and Nico are probably going to be saying to each other and what the commentators are going to be saying about Haas. Like I can already, I already know that narrative going in that and this season's not even like done yet. Yep. So when you get to that point as an organization, that like that's unacceptable as as a professional sports team. Like that that's just unacceptable, you know. And because if that was the case, the Golden State Warriors would have stayed dead last. Remember the mid two thousands, like like early nineties. They they weren't they weren't doing anything, and then all of a sudden they found they started focusing on a mission they got steve kerr they got steph curry they got clay you know draymond and then they are a dynasty now you know like there's so many examples of like teams that are downtrodden or out of luck team sport like teams that as soon as they a sense of direction they're able to kind of come back into relevancy and I think you're absolutely right. I think there's, and I think in complacency, like there's a lot of confusion mixed in with it, and and there, it's just it's just a ship that's kind of going in circles, like out in the middle of the ocean. Well, yeah, I mean, if you watch Drive to Survive, like Gunther's living the high life, man. He's got a oh, huge yeah. mansion. He's hanging out with in North Carolina in the hills, yeah. and <laughs> drinking wine. It's like if you got this this cush life and you just have to make sure that you don't crash too many cars. Like, are you like, cause wasn't go through like a, a mechanic or something like, I, like he, and he convinced Gene to sort of start this team. Like, I feel like, like they, like you totally said, they don't have direction. They don't have this drive. And they're kind of a mess. Like, you know, they took on the Mazepin family. Then they, what, the, what was the oil sponsor they had? There was a huge mess with that. Um, Ural Kali. Uh, from no, no, that that's the Mazepin company. There was a, a rich, rich energy or whatever like that. I think was the name. Oh of the yeah, yeah, 
and, and like yeah. they didn't they didn't pay or something i can't remember all the details but they, i think just, they weren't even a real company at a certain like it was something to like it was some some stupid yeah it's just something that's so like, embarrassing yeah. yeah i was like it, how did you get yourself in this situation it sort of seems like they just kind of like like you said just kind of live day by day year by year by the minute and they're just sort of you know oh we need to make some money oh this guy has money let's just let's do it we'll figure it out later like i i feel like they need some sort of direction like you said something to sort of like point the needle and say this is where we need to be um yeah but yeah i don't i don't expect too much out of haas this year um and it's unfortunate because i like like you said i like kevin i like nico and i like gunther too like i just i want to see the car be able to be competitive at least in the midfield yeah, yeah. I, I, and i'll and i'll you know i'll wrap up on haas with this i think even the drivers that they have are drivers that are not incentivized to go win a championship. They're incentivized to keep a seat in F1. Yeah. You know? So, like, when you even boil it down to the incentives of the drivers, like, Nico Hulkenberg is not like, hey, like, I came back to win a championship. Kevin Maxson is not like, hey, I came back to win a championship. They're literally like, yeah, we were, like, you know, shooting the shit, like, at our, in, our, in, our, in our personal lives, and then Gunther called. And we we answered, you know, and, and, you know, and, and that's, and that's what I mean by having a stable of young talent that, you know, are up to par to take in those seats at any given time. It gives that incentive a skew that I think professional sports needs, uh, especially team sports. And I think that not just for F1, this is for, for any team sport, you can even say cricket. Like, as soon as you know your ass is on the line and that there's someone else that could come in, eagerly take over, your sense of, like, competitiveness just changes automatically. Like, and that then that's what, you know, we talked about uh, uh, offline with Danny going over to, to Red Bull, you know, and, and how that would affect Teco's performance, his, you know, like, you know, having to look over his shoulder it's not the most healthy thing, but it's it's the right kind of stress needed to get an organization to 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 go win. Um, so yeah, I, I think has this year another one to kind of forget about. Um, but I, I I was hoping for more. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, and you know, we haven't really talked about Red Bull. Obviously, there's probably not much to say. They're kind of infallible at the moment. Yeah, Max, Max was just still up the road. Like you said, uh, Charles or or Carlos or whatnot said that they might win every race, and I definitely think that's possible. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that's ever happened before in Formula One, except for uh, I, Seb got close close to it. Yeah, the, there was another team. Uh, they didn't win every race, but uh, like that that one team, Ross Braun or whatever it was, like the white car. It was like their oh okay. First year in Formula One, they had no logos, no sponsors, and they dominated the whole season. Um, that was a like I learned that from Sam. I, I didn't get to watch that myself, but uh, I probably should go back and actually watch the season. Her was crazy. Um, I mean, that was the era probably when there's no cost caps and, and yeah, these other sure. like you know uh, these other red tapes, uh, which I, I'm all for. I, I, I mean, I will say this about Red Bull. They literally copied and pasted the car from last year as they should have. And and they're just going to run it. Like, how cool must it be to just be like, hey, like, we don't really need to do a whole lot. We're just going to go out there and, and dominate. It's like the fucking, like, you know, uh, 
the Celtics when they had like, you know, Larry Bird and and like Kevin McHale, like they're just go out there and know that they dominate, you know? And and that's kind of what I'm seeing from Red Bull, which makes it a little less entertaining because I did like the kind of like Christian stress, like, you know, a stress Christian is a way better TV than a calm Christian. Um, and now that I'm seeing Max is a nice guy, I'm like, man, this isn't as fun anymore. Like, I want to see Max, like, being kind of like, you know, like, the, you know, I, but but that's just, that's the only nitpick that I have about these guys. What, is like what, that they're... When Christian on Drive to Survive, at the very end, he was asked, do you miss your rivalry with Toto? And he was he like, no. and he was like, no. I was like, no. I was like, I miss the rivalry with Toto. Like, you're, the banter between you two is like literally what got me addicted to the sport. Like, uh, and I think that's almost a negative thing that I came in on the best year of this rivalry. Yeah, Lewis and Max, they were crashing into each other. They were back and forth, points every race. It came down to Abu Dhabi, tied on points. Obviously, there's a controversy. But at the end of the day, it was like the most incredible season of F1. And, you know, that was the last year where the team principals got to got to phone the, the race director on team radio. So you get to hear Toto yelling at Michael Masi over the radio and Christian yelling at him over. And you were just like, this is so freaking entertaining. And, you oh, know, yeah. unfortunately, some of that has, has gone. And uh, hopefully Red Bull dominating isn't going to be too detrimental like you said it takes a little bit of the the interestingness out of it and the excitement out of it um but hopefully you know we did just do this huge regulation change hopefully we can get back to that point um before 2026 when they do it all over again but yeah um yeah like i i i definitely miss a little christian and toto banter and i hope i hope we can get back to something of that nature which is why i miss Matias so much because he was the other team principal character like Fred is this like quiet guy and like I really like, like the reason why I fell in love with Formula 1 is all these personalities and characters that kind of yeah. world and uh, these people are all elite at their own level and it's just fun to like watch them exist in this world that doesn't matter to a lot of people but it's just super interesting um, Yeah, but yeah like uh yeah, I I will say the team principles. Once you start, you know, obviously drivers are who's who's who you're watching, right, and, and competing. But I think the last season did a really great job of showing the competitiveness of the team principles, and kind of like what it's a top down mentality, right? If we take Aston Martin for example, Lawrence Stroll being this like shrewd business guy, he's gonna hire someone like uh, uh you know. Alonzo, he's gonna hire someone like you know uh, a Seb, right? Like it, it just makes sense, you know, because they're shrewd business drivers essentially. Right. And then that's why, like, I look at like Laurent Rossi for Alpine. the The relationship he's being able to forge with with Otmar is gonna lead to Pierre and Esteban probably having a better relationship that's my hope right just this top-down mentality that seems to cascade ferrari is the only one man that it does not fit the same bill like because they can't seem to get the top right so everything at the bottom is just like just old shit you know and 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 so that that's where i think like paying attention to 
is also really critical in 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 kind of understanding where a team is going and and where a team can go you know even like if it's just a change of management you know they can be off places no pun intended but yeah you know i you definitely have uh to, you definitely have to fix that uh the top because you, you can't just put two championship drivers in the car like you, you can't put lewis and max and the mclaren they're not going to win races either in there so you're gonna you have to fix yeah you have to fix like you said from the top down but there is some some interesting competitive within the team principles and I'm excited to see how that shakes out. Um, yeah. Let's look, let's look ahead. Uh, we got Saudi coming up in two weeks. It is. Yeah. In very, two weeks, very different track than Bahrain. Like it's street track. It's very fast. Walls are tight. Although I, I think that they, they expanded the track a little bit. They made it slightly wider uh, with a little more runoff area. So maybe it'll be a little less, you know, dangerous for shunts like Schumacher had uh, last year, but it's a, obviously it's a very different track. We're, you know, we're assuming we're expecting Red Bull to dominate there as well, um, but it'll definitely give the opportunity for for teams who might have bigger strengths in, in that kind of circuit, and we might see a, a huge shakeup in the midfield again. Yeah, I think um, another you know desert based track uh, tire deck is going to be a big thing to that rolls up in a strategy i think this race will show um potential rips in the seams of some uh you know uh teams while maybe shining some light on on where other teams are, are really making up their 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 space with with great strategy right like like a mercedes i think would have a good chance to, you know, fight for a fourth or a third in, in this race, uh, barring, you know, nothing weird happens. Because uh, they do keep an eye on tire Dag and they, they have a really good understanding of when to bring in Russell, not to double stack. Like, they, they have a really good understanding of that. I think this is for Ferrari could potentially, you know, if they if we experience the same things that Carlos Sainz had to go through with his tire deck situation, it could be a rough one for Ferrari. Given how sturdy the the Aston Martin looks, uh, I can definitely see them pulling out another just great uh, performance uh, in in Saudi, um, and and you know my 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 bold prediction is that uh, Alpine will 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 both drivers will be in the top ten. Yeah, I'm... I think yeah, I think Esteban has a lot to to bring bring himself back from. I think the one thing that didn't happen in Bahrain, which is going to shake things up is uh, I think we're going to get some red flags. Right? I think it's inevitable. Yeah. Uh, so we'll be able to, to close that gap from Red Bull and maybe have some, some tire strategy play a big role. Like you said, it's going to be dead. It's going to be high. So hopefully we'll be able to see a crazy race, even if it, you know, may or may not ultimately be dominated by Max or Red Bull. But uh, yeah, I'm excited to see Alpine. Uh, excited to see if Aston Martin can continue the performance that they had. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully the experience of like Lewis uh, and Mercedes can, can put that car up on the podium. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as we wrap up here, Chris, uh, let's just get some final thoughts from you. Winners and losers from Bahrain. Uh, well, who are you putting that? I think we're both going to agree here. I mean, big winner is Aston Martin. Like, like you said before, hearing Alonso, I was almost like knocking on wood the whole time, 
he had like three laps to go and he was like, this is the best car in the world. And he's like, I just love it. And he's like, I can't wait. And he's like, hell yeah. And he's like, bye-bye. And I was like, congratulating like Lance yeah, and shit yeah. like that. I was like, yeah. Fernando, calm down. I don't want your, your car to blow up and die and, or for you to like slip and uh, hit a curb and go into the wall. Like <laughs> let's get across the finish line first. That but... back and forth, that back and forth with him and Lewis literally made me stand up. And even though Lewis came out, you know, as a loser, eventually in that, in that battle that was riveting that yeah. was awesome i would love to see more of those kinds of interactions and and the lack of red flags loved it yeah i i, I love seeing a clean race i hate seeing all the virtual like cars i it, it just it, it really does slow down like the the sport um i i hope this clean race mentality kind of continues as we go into the season um and then losers who you got I mean, it's got to be mclaren like oh, McCl- yeah. mclaren is just they have so much talent behind the wheels of their cars and they just were nowhere like the, the steering wheel issue with oscar and then lando with his what seven pit stops with a a leak like i don't know whether they were uh, like having their own like second winter testing session and just like i think that's yeah that's essentially i think what they ended up doing is like they're like we might as well use the time to test our car yeah because he he kept coming in, and I guess they had to to re re pump pressure into the car uh, and then turn yeah. it back out again. But it was just one of those things that you were like beating a dead horse. But uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully they can use that time wisely, or hopefully they did use that time wisely to sort of help sort some problems out for the next race. But uh, yeah, big big loser for the day. Like Oscar was the first retiree from the race. Lando was out shortly after, and it was just sort of like, what what's going on, guys? I mean, I think Will Buxton saw Lando like punch a wall in testing. Yeah. It just shows where where they're most likely going to be at. Uh, so yeah, big loser for me in Bahrain. Winner got to be Aston Martin because yeah, man, the, their performance today was just like like you said, got me out of my seat, got me standing up, got me rooting. I was like cheering, like coming straight off a of drive to survive. And seeing all the the Fernando drama and how happy he was to be changing teams and just and I was just so excited for him. So yeah, yeah, and it you know uh, as I go into my mid thirties, uh, gives me something to look forward to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and cool. So so I, I totally agree with you. McLaren's big losers. Um, I think that and it's hard to feel bad for them. They don't even have Danny Rick for me to feel bad for them for. I just right. feel no sympathy for them at all. Um, they kind of put themselves in this position. Uh, I think, you know, another loser of the day is probably, you know, of course, Esteban and, and, and Charles, but I think that's something that they can, can fix. I think that's something that they can, can turn this ship right. I think in terms of hot seats, uh, I'll go over my top five. I think the top hot seat is going to be Zach Brown. I think the second hot seat is going to be, um, uh, I would say Gunther uh, right now. Um, I think as much as like he's getting a lot of levity, this I can see Gene being like, hey, we have to go a different direction. Um, I think third is going to be Oscar. I think he put a lot of conundrum into this past, you know, uh, off season, and he it, not to his fault, but you know, still it's 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 not a good look. Um, I think. 
Yuki is going to be my my fourth. We haven't really talked about him today, but you know he barely just outdid Nick uh, in in today's race. And I think if he doesn't shape up and Nick starts to out you know outdo him, then regardless of if Alfatori is doing great or just somewhat decent, Yuki will probably lose his seat. Um, and I think the last one is. Um, uh, who did I say before, Chris? Yuki, uh, Gunther, Zach, and uh... Oscar. And there's one more that I had mentioned earlier, and it's oh, Lance. So yeah. Lance, I yeah, I think Lance needs to great showing today, uh, but he has to start competing for P four, P five at the very like least yep um consistently to to keep him in that in that role so those are my top five hot seat prospects it'll obviously change as the year goes on um but what are you thinking about that is there anyone that you you have that i might have missed uh i'm in pretty much full agreement with you Uh, i think yuki was a good call out because um I, i i definitely think he's just been sort of this guy that's been there uh he you know consistently gets uh, like one or two points, but he's not really performing at a level that's, especially he's not improving. Um, and he's been shown to have like sort of that abrasive attitude towards progress. Um, so I definitely yeah. think he's going to have, he's going to have to have a very strong gear um, um, in order for him to keep his seat. I definitely think he is, is sort of on the hot seat already within the team. Um, and it's sort of like put up or you're done this year. Um, and then the only other person I would add to that list maybe is Nick, Nick DeVries himself. Like I think Nick basically got the job off of one performance. Um, yeah. And if he doesn't show up this year, I definitely think he'll be easily replaceable. Um, especially with any new young talent coming into the sport. Um, people that can have longevity because Nick is not that young. Uh, and if he doesn't perform, he may not be worth the gamble over the long term. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I'll full agreement um, with sort of that list. And I definitely think, especially with the team principal level, that there might need to be some shakeups uh, as early as next year. Yeah. And and, and I guess I, if there was a sixth seat uh, in consideration, I'd probably put Fred Vassar, you know, just given the nature of that of that role. And he'll have at least this year to, to develop, but you know, you're, you're walking into fire already. And, and, you know, I can also see being a part of the Ferrari family can also be probably a little, it, it could probably also have its downsides, you know? Yep. Um, last, last thing before we go, I want to hear, yeah. I want to hear uh, WDC. Who's your top three? Who, who's first, second, third driver's championship. I want to. I want to see how close we early get to call. predicting. Yeah, sure. So early call. Uh, you know, I got Max winning it all this year. Um, I have Checo coming in second, and I have Fernando Alonso coming in third. Uh yeah. I mean, I think that's that's pretty much like what is going to be expected. Um, I, I I don't see Max not winning this championship as early as possible. Um, I definitely thought Checo was going to win last year and he or got second uh, last year and he didn't. So um, 
Man, I kind of really want Fernando to be in that second seed. So, I mean, it's, it, I, I don't think it's unreasonable. I yeah. don't think that's unreasonable at all. So I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna go ahead and predict uh, Fernando in second. I'll put Checo in third. So, but yeah, Let's check it out. Yeah, because I, I I think Checo can have more off days uh, than not sometimes. So, um, you know, there's definitely races where he just seems completely on it, and then races where he's just kind of like putzing around in no man land for a while, like in a, a very long race. And then, you know, yeah. uh, constructors. I, I mean, I think I have to put it for Red Bull. I don't know if you think it go any yeah, other Yeah. I mean, Red Bull will probably get number one for sure. I think number two is going to be probably Ferrari. And I think number three is going to be Mercedes. Oh, are are we are we are we putting Lance out so far down the line that Aston can't pull into that third spot? I think the the depth between three and four is going to be much closer than one and two and one and three or yes. sorry two and three. Um, just kind of how the the landscape's looking like right now. Uh, that's why I made the point. If if Lance is the reason why they don't get into constructors like even the top three constructors points. That's going to be something that's going to they're going to take a look at. That that's going to be what's going to I think trigger the conversation of potentially bringing on a D two, a new D two. Uh, so, just given my conservative estimate, I think Ferrari will come in second. They'll probably be many points behind uh, behind Red Bull, uh, but I think Mercedes with with George and with Lewis consistently putting up points um we'll, we'll probably get that third third slot but i don't think by by a whole lot yeah uh i fully agree Sam, it's been a blast uh it's been you know we've been talking about doing this for a while now so uh had, had a lot of good time and we, i'm super excited about this formula one season i'm super excited about you know starting on this journey with you um and getting to sort of sh- to share this with uh Hopefully some fans and uh, seeing seeing where this goes because I think there's a lot of cool and interesting things to talk about in Formula One. Um, I'm super excited to see where this year goes. Yeah, yeah. And to, to the people that may or may not be listening, um, as we grow this out, we'd love to invite you into our conversations. We'd love to hear what you're thinking. If we miss something, if you totally disagree with us, that's the only way we're going to have fun uh, doing this. Chris and myself is getting real engagement from fans that are on the same trajectory of their fandom with F1 as us, or, you know, they're, they're further along than us and they need to, you know, we need to, to lean into them to, 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 to learn more about the sport. So I'm excited, Chris, I think, you know, this is going to be a really good season. I think it's going to be um, a very different season. Yep. in certain ways than what we expected, but I think it'll also line up with certain things that we're predicting. So what those things are, we'll, we'll come to find out, but uh, but I'm really excited to, to be able to do this with you, man. Yeah, uh, great. Well, yeah, just like Sam said, super excited. Let us know uh, if we've missed anything or how you how you feel about this first episode, but we'll see you, uh, we'll see you in Jeddah. We'll see you in Saudi. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Yep.